Madhur Jafri describes growing up in British India in her memoir called Climbing the Mango Trees. Her cookbooks include At Home with Madhur Jafri and Curry Nation, in which she explores Britain's 100 favorite curries. You've probably also seen Madhur's work as an actress in the movies or on TV's Law & Order. Her website is madhurjafri.com. That's spelled M-A-D-H-U-R-J-A-F-F-R-E-Y. Madhur, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. Madhur, when you think about the British love of Indian food, um, how do you explain that? Well, I think, secretly, between you and me, that it's a reverse colonization. We've come in, we've swooped down, and said, we'll get you one way or the other. I love that. When, you know, it's so interesting. There is that sort of poetic justice, you know. We're, you, you colonize us now. It's your turn. It's your turn. And we've done it very nicely with food. That's no a, guns. That's a nice way to do it. And I, I think you've got willing, uh, willing subjects now. But I have to tell you a story right here. You talked about no more fish and chips and chicken tikka masala instead. Uh-huh. I went to Glasgow. We were filming Curry Nation. It's a 10-part series for British uh-huh. TV. And I was determined to find out what this thing that I'd heard about, that everybody (laughs) was eating chips with curry sauce. I said, what is that? What is chips with curry sauce? I know chips. English people eat fish and chips and chips with vinegar or whatever. But chips with curry sauce? So we go into (laughs) this, they call it a chippy, which is a place that has deep fried pizzas and it has chips with curry sauce. So I go in and the camera's with me, we're filming, and I go and ask, can I have uh, chips with curry sauce? And they said, sure. So this order comes in and there are these chips with this glutinous yellow sauce on top. And I asked the manager, who happens to be Turkish, which is what's happened to Britain now. The manager's Turkish and he says to me, madam, this is your curry sauce. I said, could you show me how you make it? So he takes me into a back room and there he has a, a pail and a kettle with hot water that he, electric kettle. So he boils up hot water, takes a can, opens it, and takes out two big scoops of this yellow powder, puts it in the pail on the floor, then puts the water in, then he has a blender stick, and he goes brrr into the pail, and he said, that's the curry sauce. (laughs) And I said, wonder what this tin is. And I look at the tin, I turn it around, and it says, curry sauce made in China. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. So that is what the British are eating. They want the flavor of Indian food. And they have resorted to this as one of the many ways that's so desperate for Indian flavor. With a Turkish restaurateur. With a Turkish, he was poor whipping guy. up he was Chinese. Just a manager. <laughs> yeah, not a restaurateur might be saying too much, yes. but whipping up Chinese uh, tin yeah. of faux Indian And they have worked curry. out their own way of eating curry. Well, how would you make a better curry, though? make a better sauce. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go from scratch. I was working in a film in England, and my makeup girl was from uh, Wales. And she told me the story that a friend of hers in Wales, an actor, was visiting her in London. So he said, oh, I must have some good Indian food. This must be, London must have the best Indian food. So she said, I'll take you to a restaurant. She took him to a restaurant, and he ordered chicken vindaloo off and off. So the waiter looked very startled, and he said, you want chicken vindaloo? He said, chicken vindaloo off and off. So it turns out that what he wanted was chicken vindaloo on a bed of half rice and half chips. 
which is how they eat it in Wales. So they've worked out their own way of eating Indian food. It's not necessarily the Indian way. Right. England has worked out its own relationship with Indian food, but they love it. It's become the food of the masses. It really is English cuisine almost now. Right. For example, every Thursday is curry night at the pubs. Mm-hmm. And the pub food is incredible. I think what the English couldn't handle was Indian food being so varied. So what is it? We want to standardize it. So then they standardized it in terms of heat. So what they've done is chicken korma is the mildest. Uh Chicken vindaloo and chicken madras, as they call it, is the hottest. (laughs) So I have been to restaurants where it's so fiery, I can't eat it because it's just chili powder. And I remember talking to it like a 14-year-old boy. And he said to me very proudly, this was in a pub where Thursday's families can come and eat. He said, I've graduated from chicken uh, korma to chicken vindaloo. As if that was a triumph. As if it was a triumph. (laughs) I traveled with a guy from India once, and he had his own little vial of spice. And it was very hot. And he couldn't get stuff hot enough. So whenever we went out, whatever it was, pizza or you name it, he'd put his spice But you see, those spices are mixed together in the appropriate way. It's not okay. just chili powder. So it's not just cranking so up Some the people just put chili powder. Okay. I, friends of mine, including the conductor Zubin Mehta, carries around his own little silver box <laughs> of chilies. But these are mixed powders that they make in South India, which are absolutely wonderful. But they have other things in them, too. Madhur, you write very um, sweetly about actually not knowing how to cook until you went to England as a student in 1957 and then learning to cook Indian food almost because you missed it so much after dealing with the British food. Tell us well, a little bit about that's that. that's absolutely true. I was around 20, and I, my father put me on a boat, a P&O liner, that took me to Britain. I was going to drama school. And I arrived, and I realized that fish and chips were very good at that time. I could have that. But there was not much else that I enjoyed eating, and I missed, I really missed the food of India, of my home. And I wanted to recreate it, but I just, I couldn't make tea, I couldn't make rice, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't cook. I had not learned how to cook. And were there Indian restaurants in England back then? They were, but they were terrible. I think there were two in London at that time. Right, okay. But they were really bad, and they didn't, they didn't taste of home. They tasted Hmm. of some generic something, I don't know, but not really of Indian food. So then I started writing letters to my mother and saying, please teach me how to cook. And I said, I would like to learn these recipes. And I told her one was a cauliflower dish, one was a lamb dish. And uh, one was a potato dish, I remember. And she sent me three-line recipes. Take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I recreated them in my kitchen. But I remember the taste. So I could get it right. Oh, so you had the ingredients, but you had to jigger it until it matched the taste you remembered. That I remember. Because you wrote so beautifully. You, You wrote, when I left India to study in England, I could not cook at all but my palate had already recorded millions of flavors, from cumin to ginger. They were all in my head, waiting to be called into service. Right. That's exactly how it works. And it must have been such a blessing to have your mother's letters That's to give right. you the key exactly. to recreating That's exactly you especially had after on the eating head. that English cuisine yes. in 1950s. And it was, was see-through ah. roast beef gray, <laughs> cabbage boiled for 10 days, potatoes boiled for another 20 days. Just really not good food. It was just after the war and really not good food. So it was a revelation that I could make it myself. And I got better and better and better and learned more and more dishes. So I'm self-taught. And I think one of the reasons why my books work is that I write 
as an ignorant person for other ignorant people. That's very important. It is. Because it's accessible then. It seems like a lot of Indian restaurants are Bangladeshi. They're owned Owned by by Bangladeshis. A lot of them were owned by Bangladeshis at a certain time, and they all served a sort of Xeroxed menu of the same dishes that were not Bangladeshi at all. They were Mm -hmm. just a generalized North Indian menu. It wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. So for Bangla, I can tell you where you should go. For Bangladeshi food, if you wanted true Bangladeshi food, you'd go to the East End. So -hmm. you have to look for specific restaurants. Are they Mm Pakistani-owned? If they are, are they famous for serving Pakistani dishes? Mm -hmm. Go to regional places. There's a great place in London called Gujarati Rasoid. It's known for Gujarati food. Okay. So I would go for specifics. I would go for South Indian food to South Indian places. So, Madhur, maybe this is ridiculously simplistic, but for many people, and I have to admit for me, uh, you think Indian food and you just think Indian food. But, of course, that would be, that's like saying European food. Yeah, you know? exactly. Give me, a, in a very quick primer, the four or five regions and, and their distinctions, if we are out and about, especially in Britain where we have some good options. Well, Gujarati food, uh-huh. which I love. If you're a vegetarian, look no further. This is the best place. They will cook with curry leaves, which give their food a lot of aroma. They will cook with mustard seeds. They will cook sometimes food that is slightly sweet Uh as well. Gujarati. Yeah, Gujarati. Okay. So that's that's one cuisine. They have great snack foods. Gujarati. Okay, then, take then me to Punjabi another Punjabi food, you will get almost everywhere. That is the North Indian food that has become high street food. Ah, so that's your basic generic Indian food that is, is Punjabi. It starts with the Punjabi. So you have the chickpeas that are everywhere. Hardy food. Hardy food. Right. Uh, and wonderful. You'll have the spinach. You'll Punjab. have the mustard greens. So that is one big cuisine. Okay. Then generally, South Indian cuisine. Mm -hmm. It's more from Tamil Nadu, Mm -hmm. I would say, but it has the dosas, which are the gorgeous pancakes, which everyone must have. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been speaking with Madhur Jafri. Her book is At Home with Madhur Jafri. Madhur, is there a golden memory that's edible from your childhood that that you can create by going to an Indian restaurant in Britain? Is Is it possible to get the kind of magical comfort food that takes you back to your childhood? I don't know if you can get it in a restaurant. However, okay. if you'd cook it at home, how would you do I that? I wouldn't cook it. What it would, would you, be a mango. It, be? it would be a lovely ripe mango, cooled, chilled with ice, and you just cut into it, and it would be an Alfonso mango, and you would cut into it, and it would be satiny and smooth, smoother than a peach, and slightly sweet, and a little hint of sourness. That would be my perfect Indian memory. Madhur Jafri. Thank you for joining us, and uh, best wishes in your work. Thank you very much for having me. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for London, England, Great Britain, Scotland, and Ireland. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for this region and beyond, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.